Hi, everyone. Welcome to the 5-1 Volleyball Podcast. Great episode today, as always, when I'm joined by Everett of Volleyball Source. We recap the Super Finals, talk about Argentina's VNL, and of course, preview the VNL season for the Canadian men's national team. If you want to watch the video version of this podcast, you can find it on Volleyball Source YouTube channel. If you like to listen to your podcast while working out, driving, cooking, stick around for the audio version. But either way, I hope you guys enjoy this podcast. But yeah, I'm excited to talk about the little Champions League today. Little, a lot of Canadian. So a warning to the non-Canadian fans you're, you're, out there. You're even, you're even repping better than me right now. Of course, of course, I gotta bring out the Team Canada jersey for the podcast. I like these, by the way. They're, they're, I, this is not a regrettable purchase. This is a good, a good purchase. No, I, I, I remember when you got that VNL 20, <laughs> 2019. That was that was a good one. Um, but yeah, let's start off by by chatting uh, about the Super Finals. You were lucky, lucky enough to be there. I got to sit here in this chair, and we obviously did the uh, voice chat and and chatted on on the Discord. But overall one of the kind of one of the best super finals I've, I've seen in a while. Uh, I thought the women's match was phenomenal. Like the women's match, like had me on the edge of my seat the entire time it was back and forth. It was two heavyweights going head to head and it, and it was awesome. And then the men's match, just a, another great game. Zach's coming out on top. So yeah, it, it, it was a phenomenal four or five hours of volleyball on Saturday afternoon. Yeah. I think like the viewing experience from start to finish was, I, I, I think we've heard a lot of good feedback and I, I want to ask you ever, how does, how was it? Cause the TV production, how was it, you know, sitting in front oh. at home and watching everything? I mean, the production in terms of the camera quality, like you, you were telling us that, you know, it was going to be 180 P it was 50 megabytes a second. You know, that was, that, that was great. Like it was a fast stream. Like the ball wasn't choppy at all. It on on Euro Volley TV, it, it was really good. Um, I mean, I, I think you know where my criticisms <laughs> will lie. Yes, um, the usual. <laughs> and, and and like, let's be. I I will say that they did utilize utilize a baseline angle quite like quite a bit more, and they had it in in a, a lot of replay scenarios. So. I, I found actually that side of it to, to, to be pretty decent. I'm not going to harp on the side angle too much. I know I beat it like a dead horse, so there's no <laughs> need to there's no need to say it. Um, but I, I, I think it's tough. I would like to have um, maybe a better bit of bit, bit of a better commentator out there. Someone who knows volleyball, kind of knows what's been happening uh, throughout the Champions League, who's followed it a little bit, knows about the game. Um, yeah, after listening to Clayton Lucas for three weeks in the beach volleyball bubble and not being too thrilled with him then, um, I, I think he's a very good, I think he, if, if he was him and someone else, it would be a fantastic broadcast, but just him on his own, he doesn't know enough about the game to, you know, in, in, enthrall me. But luckily that's why we had the discord chat too. Yeah, it's good. You know, find your own entertainment and, uh, yeah, it's, it's always tough to do a broadcast with one person. Even I think both of us have, have done it or me very amateurly, but it, it, it is hard to keep people engaged in, 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 in talking about stuff for like two out three hours even when we have great games but yeah i would say yeah the women's match probably like an all-time classic in terms of just how exciting the match was men's match was almost was almost perfect because if zaxa had won that polish league title that would have been like one of the most iconic volleyball seasons we have had 
like a Polish team bringing home the Champions League title, kind of like the story of their team without any real big stars and just the whole thing coming together. Ever, what do you think happened there in the Polish Man, like, finals? I, I, honestly, I don't even know. And that's one of the biggest, like, biggest things that's messing with my brain about this season. Because, you know, ha- after the way they dominated the first two rounds and, and got through, you know, the biggest teams in the world, um, to, to get to the finals. Um, it just seemed like like a foregone conclusion, especially the way that they had dominated all season long. They pretty much only lost when they chose to um, against Rosovia late, like later in the season, you know, like, and then in, in the finals, they just come out with, I don't know, they just came out flat and Yeshevji Wajal obviously had their number and, and, and had them scouted down to the T. Um, and then they, I think they just, you know, performed way outperformed for, for two matches. That, that's my opinion of kind of what happened. And maybe Zaxo was, you know, maybe not as prepared for it, let's, let's say. Yeah, and I think I, I, and I've said on other podcasts and stuff before, I think that the fatigue factor was a little bit of a factor, especially with Zatorski being injured for part of uh, the first game. And then, you know, just playing so many games, those big five setters in the Champions League, something that Yastrzemski that did not have to deal with because they had withdrawn from the tournament. But, but even with all that considered and the fact that, you know, probably Tomasz Fernal, uh, Jakub Popovšák, and Lucas Kampa, Yuri Gladier all probably played some of their best games of the season. I, I don't know. I, I still think Zaks is really kicking themselves over that. But also at the same time, had they not gotten a bit of a wake-up call, a kick in the pants, maybe uh, the Superfinals would have turned out differently. Yeah, uh, absolutely. It, it's quite true. Maybe they go in a little bit cockier against a... Uh, uh, a Trentino team that you know had something to prove, but yeah, they had something to prove kind of from the get go in that match. And I mean, I, I think it pretty much went as we I- I expected uh, at the end of the day. I thought it was interesting that Trentino brought out uh, Coy to start the match instead of Micheletto, yes. but um, other than that, it was uh, it was a classic Zaxa performance. They just dominated uh, all around Kashmarek with some clutch aces right at the end. Um, you know, we're, we're starting to see, uh, see a, a theme there, uh, with yeah. him. And I'm, I mean, I, I'm going to stand by it and I, and I've said it before, um, uh, on the discord and, and on shows as well. I would not be surprised if we see Kashmarek lining up in the Olympic matches opposite to land, like, you know, in that opposite position, because I've, I've talked about it before, how I think, you know, Leon, and I know this isn't the Poland show. I swear this is all I'm going to talk about <laughs> it. Um, but I think that maybe with Leon and Kurek on the court, you might have too much ego, right? You can all like, you know, you're only going to get the opportunity to set like what, 20 some balls a set. Not every single one of them is going to be able to go to, to, to either of those yeah. guys. You know, you've got to run an offense and which one of those guys is going to take, take a, you know, a step back from the offense. Whereas I think that Lucas, a guy like Lucas Kashmarek, is going to go in and like he did at Zaxa, do his job. He's going to block well. He's going to serve well. He's going to take the kind of maybe 14, 15 sets he's going to get in a match in, in an opposite position and be fine with it and still like play efficiently. But, you know, at the end of the day, having to choose between Lukas Kaczmarek and Bartosz Kurek right now for Poland is a pretty friggin' good uh, position to be in. Yeah, I think I think Kaczmarek's for sure making the case. I think it also would depend on who the other, the second outside hitter is behind, beside Leon maybe. If you have Leon and uh, Ben Norge or uh, or another or Semenik or another more offensive outside hitter, then you wouldn't need 
uh, Kurek as well, to, uh, especially with the middles they have too. But anyway, like you said, it's not the Polish podcast. We'll say that for later. But yeah, yes. catch, catch Merrick did a good job. What do you think about Alex Schlifka, a man with a very quickly rising volleyball stock, doing all the new circuits in Polish media? What do you think about Schlifka's MVP? Um, I mean, I think it, it was a tough one to choose. Like, there's the, especially with that Zaxa team, they were just so even across the board. Um, but yeah, absolutely. I think that Stufka over, over the course of the, the season and over the, the course of that match especially was kind of their anchor in, in a lot of ways. Um, but yeah, I mean, it could have gone to Semenyak. You could have gone to Zatorski as well too, maybe Tony Uti with that. I, I personally thought it was going to go to Tony Uti. If, if Zaxa was going to win, they were going to give it, you know, they would give it to him. It would have been a great story as he, you know, wins uh, the championship with the club that he's been with so long, you know, he's heading on to the team that just beat him in the finals uh, next year. So I thought that would have been a great story, but uh, yeah, absolutely. Alexander Suska definitely like raising his stock. I thought the moment though, where Semenyak was doing um, the interview with, uh, I guess uh, maybe it was the CEV and then Asia Volosh like jumps in oh, yeah. and like gives him a big hub and, and picks him up and like cheers. I thought that was one, one of the best moments of the weekend. Yeah, I love those little moments like that. The players so happy after like win like that. I can't and the Polish players too. I mean, they've been through a they've been through a lot together and probably go way back. And you just get looking at little like micro relationships, like seeing like I saw like Schlifka and Lucarelli have a long conversation. Just seeing like guys like talk that you don't you wouldn't really necessarily know are close or are friends or or what the story is, but it's uh it's really cool. Um Yeah. How about how about you? Like what like what did you think about the match? Like overall, obviously you had a bit of a different perspective than 99.9% of people <laughs> watching it, but how, you know, what did you think of the match? Especially because you've, you followed the, the CEV, you know, champions leagues probably a lot closer than I have. So like, what was your, you know, overall thoughts about it? Yeah. Like I said earlier, I mean, it would have been the perfect story had Zaxa uh, completed that uh, triple crown winning Champions League Polish Cup and the Polish League unfortunately didn't happen but yeah I, I mean the, when you go watch live volleyball it's always just the the level is just so absolutely I, ridiculous I can't even I, believe I found it. that the I found that the level of production overall in terms of the in-stadium stuff was great um, like the, the way you guys made the, the, made, the way the CEV made the, the arena look was, was fantastic and yeah, it, it was awesome. I'm just repeating myself now, so maybe we should just move on. <laughs> yeah, I'm sad though. It's another uh, it's another few months before club volleyball starts again, unfortunately. But we have some more exciting stuff to talk about here, Everett. I think it's time for the the meat and potatoes of today's podcast, the uh, Team Canada VNL 2017 World League bronze medalists. Could they do it again? Yeah. Probably not, because I have them ranked <laughs> a little bit lower here. Um, tenth place for me uh, is my ranking, Everett. Okay, okay. Um, you know what? Well, how many teams in VNL again? Twelve? Sixteen. Sixteen? You know what? I'll take that. And here's why. Because we don't care about VNL. Uh, we care about what happens in August, right? And um, I, I think that it in team Canada's case, we're not a Poland. We're not a USA. Like we don't have big superstar players, right? We have very, very good players. Absolutely. But we have very, very good players who work in a system and execute as a team. And that takes time to build. Right. And 
I mean, I, I think that you see other teams and uh, other countries, maybe bigger countries that are giving their stars a chance, some time off during VNL, maybe kind of taking some, some half and half rosters. But in Canada, we don't have the luxury to do that, right? Realistically, we, we just don't. Um, this team has, hasn't been together in a long time. They haven't competed since Vancouver 2019. Um, and yeah, like there's going to be some things to figure out. Right. There's 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 going to be um, some chemistry that's going to be need to need to be rebuilt. Um, there's going to be some young players who are going to be getting some opportunity. There's going to be other players who obviously we're going to talk about in a little bit who are going to need to build some confidence up. Um, so, yeah, it, you know what? I, I will take a 10th place um, because I know that a 10th place with Team Canada and Coach Glenn Hogue at the helm means a 10th place where they are just going to take so many notes and learn so many things, not only about themselves, but also their opponents in order to um, get it done when it's, you know, crunch time at the Olympics in Tokyo uh, come, come August. Yeah. So that's a great overview. And, and I think uh, Canada more in, maybe I'm biased because I follow the team so closely, but it almost seems like almost every spot on the starting lineup is up for grabs. Pretty much. I would say maybe Blair bands is the safest and Vigras are the yeah. two guys who I would who I would not pick out. Everyone else, Everett, I think uh, I think uh, could could be seeing the bench in important games. It, is is it time to jump over to the super uh, uh, sophisticated depth chart? Uh, one more thing before we do that, I'll just go oh, over okay. the teams I had for everyone listening before this. Yeah, yeah. Um, we had China sixteenth, which as if you guys haven't heard, replaced by the Netherlands. By the way, Everett, what, what do you think about? The Netherlands as I mean, a team in the VNL. Yo, the Netherlands is a team that I always think is underrated. And I, I think that they're similar in the, in terms of, of Canada because all of their guys play elsewhere. But then when you think of, at, at their team, you know, like you've got Abdella, uh, you know, Namir Abdelaziz, right? Right at, at, at the top of that team, if he's going to be playing with them. I don't know if he, if he is. Can you confirm or deny? You don't know? I, I don't know. Oh, okay. But I mean, if he is, you know, like, the Netherlands are like they're going to be a, a difficult team. I mean, I, I think what was it? World Championships 2017. That was the last World Championships we had. 2018. Yeah, yeah. 2018. Yeah, World World Championships 20, 2018. Canada played them in the first match, and I'm really really happy that we played them in the first match because they weren't ready they were and they good, were. Yeah. I think they and then they beat France. I think a, a few days later, right? So um, I think that the Netherlands are always going to be a, a good team, but I haven't seen them enough recently to to think that they're going to be uh you know. A, a top team in the Vienna. I think no, 16 is probably... I'd probably 15, put them 15, 16, yeah. I mean, maybe Australia. Yeah. Australia was my next team. Uh, unfortunately, they, they're starting to lose some guys that have been parts of the national program for a while, and it doesn't really seem like they're replacing them. Like, the, when's the last time you've heard of kind of a young Australian player coming to the ranks? Probably Luke Perry is the only guy, the libero. But Like, Lincoln Williams had a really good year. Yeah, yeah that's true, that's true. But... right. I mean, um, opposites the, the position they've always been fine with. They've had Thomas Edgar, yeah. Lincoln Williams, Paul Carroll. I think the thing is the rest of the positions. Uh, it was uh, James Weir, the who played for uh, James Weir. Yeah, he's a middle guy. Played for Brandon. He Brandon, was at yeah. uh, he was at Nets Hoppers this year in in uh, in Germany. So yeah, not bad players, but for me, it's not a it's not like a great VNL roster. No. Th- they might they might pick up a few wins. You know, especially with the the, the VNL the way it is, they might yeah, have yeah. a few wins, but here and there, but probably probably not many. Germany fourteen, uh, just because I think kind of the the Bohm Camp uh, 
and uh, Christian Fromm kind of trio not going to play. And I'm not uh, I'm not 100% sure if their replacements are uh, are super ready yet. Could could they could finish higher? I mean, they have, they have a solid squad. Got the young middles, Bremen Creek. Got uh got my boy Ruben shot. Um, the young opposite Linus Faber. So some decent players, but again, kind of a, a weird roster. Some young players, some you know almost retired players. So we'll see there. Um, one team that that this this was a tough one. Slovenia 13, the the newcomer. That's a, I think that is a tough one because I think Slovenia has proven themselves on the European stage many, many times, right? And they've, they've been in medal matches. They've, you know, they've beat big teams. So I, I understand that the logic behind putting them down there, but I would, I would think like I would see them finishing higher, you yeah, know, pull, it, pull, pull, an, pull an Iran. And hopefully we see a little Rock Mozic, the uh, outside hitter who I've been hyping up for the last, what, like 18 months now. So he better be good when he comes out. Um, mm -hmm. And also Slovenia is a team that I think will like actually try really hard at the VNL just because there's not, they're not involved with really too much elsewhere. Uh, I guess Eurovolley this year as well. But um, no, but like they, they had to come through the right. uh, qualifier last year, right? Or in 2019, right? The Challenger Cup. But no, no uh, teams dropping down for VNL this year. With uh, with China's withdrawal, I believe. <laughs> Hi, Rob. Rob St. Clair in the chat. Greetings, nerds. Notice me, Everett. <laughs> <laughs> um, Rob, of course, your partner on the the yes. uh, CEV volleyball show. Got, got um, a great show coming up tomorrow. Um, and then the last two here, uh, Bulgaria twelve, who had uh, the great volleyball explained host Bogdan to uh who agreed with that 12 he's like yeah he's, he's had the same reaction you had he's like yeah yeah that's that's fair actually and then yeah. Japan at 11 which I Oof, I don't yeah, think it's controversial probably. but uh but I feel no, like no, some I'm, some people are going to be surprised when they finish that low yeah I mean I I think that's always the case with Japan but I think that um I think people a lot of people put a lot of stock in the world cup sometimes and yes, yes um it's it's really a uh, an event in my opinion that's designed for them to win um and i mean like they don't need to qualify for it they get to be the automatic hosts for it and i mean like hey don't get me wrong i i understand the japan they invest a lot in the sport of volleyball they put a lot of money into it and they've they've been one of those those standard countries you know in the annals of of the sport that have has been relevant for for a long time so i have no problem kind of giving them almost as as much as they want because they run with it they, and and they do things right um however yeah i i do tend to think that um sometimes their their stock is a is is valued a little bit higher than than other teams let's say but yeah uh, 11 i i think that's good for good for them um once again, I think they might pick up a few wins, but ultimately most teams are going to be able to kind of overpower them. And, and they're a really fun team to watch, which I think is, is, is what kind of draws a lot of people to them. Like I'd, I'd way rather watch a random Japan match than a random Bulgarian match, for example, just because you know it's Absolutely. going to be like, a, there's going to be huge defensive plays. You know, you're going to see some interesting setting. You're probably going to see a few more combination plays than you would see on a regular, uh, the average team, so... Definitely check 100%. out Japan. And then, of course, now we've come to number 10, today's podcast. Let's yes, get into absolutely. this depth chart, which I assume you're going to show all our yeah, viewers on the screen. Yeah. Um, as we see here, it's super sophisticated. Um, <laughs> as basically a, a, an Excel spreadsheet. And I'm actually just going to zoom in because it, yeah, 
Um, basically, uh, there's nothing new with the Canadian national team. And I think that's actually kind of one of my worries. Oopsies. I erased to Shawan Vernon Evans there uh, a little bit. But yeah, I actually think it's one of my worries with the, with the Canadian national team is the fact that the only like new person coming in is going to be Eric Lepke. Um, and, but he's already, you know, performed some with the team. He's played some, some nations league. Um, he played, you know, a, a other tournament, like the, tournaments like that. Um, I, I don't know, Everett. I think you're, uh, you're overestimating how much the average VNL fan knows about Eric Lepke, which I can assure you is absolutely zero. And I think he's actually going to, you know, get a lot of playing time in this year's nations league for the first time. You know, he's, he's been in a couple matches, but he hasn't really played a big role ever. And I think he, you could really see Lepke playing a significant time and I think impressing a lot of volleyball fans, impressing a lot of people and and becoming like one of those players to watch in the in the minds of the average volleyball fan, which so far he's been a mostly Canadian and Italian league uh, prospect, I would say. Yeah, you know what? You're You're absolutely right. I am probably a little bit not, not like I, I'm just like I, I know how good he is and I know what he's going to be able to do. Right. So it it I but I do agree. I think that this uh, VNL, uh, if we're going to jump right into it, is going to be the Eric Lepke coming out party. Um, I believe that of all of the the outsides and we're going to talk here about the outsides in a second, because for me, only having four outsides heading into an, an, an event like VNL is questionable. Right. But I think that Eric Lepke is going to be able is going to be the guy that logs the most the most minutes. Right. Especially, you know, Perrin and, and Hogue and Mar. Maybe maybe Mar hasn't played as much, but Perrin and Hogue played a lot of minutes um, this year. So they're going to want some time off, obviously a bit, bit older guys. But, yeah, I think this is going to be the Eric Lepke coming out party and I'm excited for it. Yeah, for sure. And like you said, uh, four four outside hitters, four very good outside hitters. So that's that's not a bad thing. But. It, it seems like I felt like a couple of years ago we, we had like this huge bounty of, of outside hitters to bring. And now now we kind of find ourselves looking down with, oh, there's actually not that many guys to pick from here. Like what's going on, Everett? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, we saw the the retirement of Riley Barnes this year. Um, so uh, that's unfortunate um, because, you know, I thought Barnes was kind of one of those perfect guys to help fill out the roster. You know, he, he could play starting minutes and we've seen him do that very successfully. Um, but he could also come off, come off the bench, right? We saw him on the roster last time they played in, in, uh, in Vancouver in 2019. So I definitely think that it's going to be, he's going to be missed there. Right. Um, and it's the, that one, that one I think really hurts because you know what, he's always been a very, very solid, reliable player. And I could see his, uh, career kind of spanning out like a guy like Toon Van Lankveld, um, and just kind of get it, get out there. Um, the other guy that we're also going to be missing and we haven't really seen around, didn't, didn't play anywhere professionally this year. Um, and, uh, it wasn't uh, at, at the NEP. So I'm not entirely sure if he's retired or not, but that's Jason Duraco. Um, and if you've ever kind of heard me talk about this team, I think that Jason Duraco is a very, very undervalued asset to this team. And that when he's come in, he's always done a great job. Um, but even though he doesn't get that many minutes, his his role as a glue guy overall and his role as the guy that will do anything and will work hard at practice and will keep the guys happy on the bench and, you know, uh, on the bus and, and kind of around like he, he's an energy guy for sure. And I really think, uh, you know, the Maple Volleys are going to be missing that um, 
maybe he maybe he's going to be coming back and we just i just haven't heard anything from it i did just check his instagram before this and there hasn't been anything updated basically since the last the the last time they played other than the auction back in in 2020 but yeah so i i, I don't know where jason Duraco is and to be honest that makes me kind of sad because as i said he's a very big glue guy to this team and um i think that you know, with only four outsides, it, it's going to be difficult. I was kind of expecting to see maybe a guy like Brandon Coppers get thrown in there, but he's going to be with the next gen team. Okay, so we won't see anyone from from your next gen team potentially get called up to go inside the bubble at all for the second half, maybe. I I, I don't think so. Uh, yeah, I'm not it, entirely sure because it, it's it, not really. Sorry, it's not really like no, a regular. Uh, it's not like a regular VNL season where you can kind of pick guys up and drop them off and exchange everything. You kind of got to lock in your roster, which is going to. Re- be a bit more interesting than regular seasons, I feel. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, Coppers is going to be uh, on that next gen team. We can just jump. I'll just jump over there, uh, and it's going to be interesting because it's he's really heading out a team that's that's you know quite a bit younger younger than him. Um, so that's kind of the only guy that that we can see who's within the system that we would be kind of throwing in there because guys like Jesse Elser, Brody Hofer and, and Braden Friesen, even though they they played, you know, at the NDP this year, they're just not, they're not ready for 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 Nations League. Right. So, um, yeah, it, it's interesting to me that the national team will be only going with four four outsides potentially. Yeah, and I guess it's just the way I mean, I'm sure they have good reason for it. Discuss the guys must be ready to play, ready to play together. We'll see. We'll I, see. I, I will say that, you know what? Uh, I think that this Nations League might be, uh, I think that this summer in general might be one of the best summers that we've seen from Gord Perrin in a long time. Oh. You know, if we look back to 2019 uh, and 2020, he was very injured. I mean, he didn't even play in the semifinal against Cuba um, at the 2019 North Seeker Championships. He started the match against Cuba. Um, in in Vancouver, but we all know how well uh, Nick Hogue played in that match, coming off the bench in in place of Gore Perrin in like the first or second set, pr- pretty early on. And uh, but that was because he was battling an injury. And, you know, I got to talk to to Gord um, uh, thanks to the Titans Volleyball Club uh, a few months ago, and he was telling me that his body was feeling better than ever, and that if there's one guy who really benefited of having time off from COVID and having time to just to go home to, to BC, spend some time with his family, kind of relax a little bit, it was Gord Perrin. And I think that he's really going to, he had a really great season this year at, at UFA and it got only better when they got rid of Massey Mujai, who just kind of seems to be a cancer, no offense. Um, and sure. yeah, Gord Perrin, Gord Perrin, like as soon as, as soon as he left, he was kind of their, their, you know, bucket getter and was just dropping like, almost a 20 on the regular so i think that we're going to see a really good version of gord this 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 year yeah for sure i think i think at the last couple times with the canadian national team you could see he was he could barely jump i mean it was it was tough to watch him he was still you know he's still a pretty good receptionist and server but um yeah the attacking was not there um but yeah with this year in russia the second half of the season he, he's he's really been lighting it up and i don't think he got much attention because his team wasn't that great and as you said the drama with Matchy Muzai going to Perugia. But yeah, I'm excited to see him. But Stephen Marr Everett uh, kind of had the opposites where he was actually benched for a lot of the second half of the season. Uh, whoa, whoa, whoa. Which... I wouldn't call it benched. You know, he uh... was the first... I, I, yo, okay. We, we, we don't really... like. We're going to have to do another show to talk about that whole situation. I disagree few... with it, by the way, but I'm, that's what 100%. it is. You know, he was having almost a career year leading them in points per set 
um, while getting way less attempts than other people who, by the way, did you see that Instagram post that Milano posted yesterday about the four guys, you know, like pump and iron? Did you see the size of, you know, the weight that Mara was lifting? And then another certain superstar that I, I don't want to get in trouble for by you know calling out was barely lifting like 25s, you know, like looking like me out there. Like, yeah, he can move and he can pass. But Mara really, like, Mara really uh, anchored that team throughout the first half of the season. And then they went out and got Tinier out and it seemed like he was relegated to the bench. Even Luca Basic was com was coming out more than yeah. him. And it was just frustrating to watch because whenever he would come in, he would bring so much fire and so much energy. And obviously he's an absolute, absolutely dominant hitter. As I said, like he was on his, on this way for a career year in the first half of the season. And then that just got completely derailed by Piazza. Yeah, I have to admit there are some times in volleyball where the coaching just just doesn't make sense. I mean, we saw a similar situation in Perugia as well. We're just like, what what could the possibly be the justification for this? And I I think the fact that I mean I like her now too. He's a great player, but uh, I think Marsh the body of work was better. And the fact is, same thing with Shawana Perugia. Even when Turnout wasn't playing well, why not bring in the player that was like has proven himself and play well throughout the season? But. Yeah, I, I, I'm not I'm not entirely sure. But yeah, I, I think Steve Amar is, is poised to have a, a great Nations League. I think he loves playing with Team Canada kind of more so than anything. And then, of course, Nick Hogue, too, coming off a really, really strong season with Fenerbahce. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I mean, I, I think we know the main three guys in that core, but I'm really uh, in, interested to see how Eric Lepke fits into into that into that group. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I honestly wouldn't be surprised if Lepke was starting a lot of these games just for the fact that they I, kind of want to maintain legs so. with the other guys, yeah. All right. Yeah, absolutely. Five middle blockers, Everett. We mentioned five middle blockers. Graham Vigras, one of the locks, I think, for any any combination of roster you want to throw it for Team Canada. Like you. Said. So sorry, I'll I'll just add a little once you're once you're done breaking it down there. Apologize. No, no, no. I was just gonna say, yeah, Vigras playing with uh, Nick Hogue, the Canadian team must follow for Canadians this year in Fenerbahce. Um, I think uh, you put Arthur Schwartz in the wrong position, though. Everett, man, I I don't think I don't think I did. Dude, like <laughs> once again, like who who was the their go to guy? Come you know, come the later in the match against Cuba, right? Who just came off statistically one of the best seasons as a middle blocker in the best league in the world, right? Um, I think that Lucas Van Berkel, he he had a great season at Durin. And I, 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 absolutely, I think he's going to definitely get some minutes too. Dan Jansen Van Dorn, we haven't seen for a while. He was rehabbing an injury, spent some time at the NEP rehabbing with 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 TJ. And then Danny Demianenko is obviously a super. And you know what I was going to say is that um, this is uh, this is not confirmed whatsoever. Volleyball Canada has not released the roster. No one's gonna. No one's been telling me the roster. Trust me, I've I've asked a few guys. Um, and so this is just my my assumption. Maybe there's someone on this roster that that's not actually there. Who 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 knows? Maybe we have an extra guy. Uh, I'm not entirely sure. Uh, if there's extra guys, I wouldn't necessarily know who might be one of the NEP guys. But you know, I, I'm not entirely sure if we're going to be bringing five middle blockers, right? Um, but this is what I think the the depth chart would look like. But but yeah, like Danny Demianenko, obviously a super uh, solid guy, had a really great season for Montpellier in France. Um, but you know, just a little bit shorter stature than than those other guys, and not necessarily uh, a guy that you're going to see competing against some of the the top middle blockers in the world. 
Yeah, well, I was more referring to Arthur Schwartz uh, as an opposite this year as well. Oh. Playing right. I mean, you, 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 oh, actually, you think you. No, 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 no. I was making right a joke. Side? I was making a joke. Yeah. But I mean, maybe. Yeah. You never know. Um, Demian Enka, though, yeah, I think he would be really interesting. He's kind of been on the uh, the bubble of the main national team program for a while now. And we saw him get a little bit of burn there in the, the World Cup in 2019. And like you said, him and Slater lit it up in Montpellier this year. Demian Enka, re- really fun guy to watch. Um, I I think he's a perfect guy to have in a situation when we're playing like Japan, you know, when, when there's a, when we're, especially if we're going to be playing that small ball that we can kind of do sometimes, you know, maybe we're going to see Steven Marshall suit up, suit up on the, on the left side too. Obviously he played left side for Shomo and always plays left side, or, you know, professionally on, on the left side. So it's not necessary that necessarily that he's going to be in the lib position, but I think that, yeah, against teams like, like Japan, uh, especially, uh, maybe even Iran, you know, where they're not necessarily as big and as physical and they're going to go for more of a, a speed offense. That's where Daniel Dambianenko shines, right? His ability to close blocks quickly and penetrate quickly as, as a middle blocker is, is really world-class. If he was a few inches taller, you know, he would be a, a fantastic world-class middle, but, you know, he's just a little bit shorter than some of the guys at, say, on Serbia. Yeah, going up against uh, Lisa Natch. Trash and uh, Sherby has like a bunch of guys on their bench too, but yeah, I think uh, Canada's one of those teams. I feel like we're never going to be completely outclassed in the middle, but we're also not going to win games in the middle as well. And like you said, alluding to you, like what you said earlier, we're, it's, it's just a team effort, right? Like there's there's not really any superstars out of these middle blockers. Maybe Graham Vigras is like borderline, borderline. He's 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 like. Like if you were going to be giving him like a video game, he's like an, a, a surprising 88, you know, like a guy that's ranked high that you're not like, I was like, thinking 88 you know as well, you know, like Graham Vigras, like at his 88. And then you're like, really? And then you're like, Oh no, actually. Yeah. You know, he's, he's not as flashy as some of the best middles in the world, but in terms of doing his job and doing what needs to be done and, and his knowledge of the game and overall skill, like, you know what? He might be one of the best overall, like all around skilled middles in the world. But I mean, indoor volleyball, that doesn't really matter for much because it's how specialized it is. Yeah. And okay, let's go on to the maybe the most interesting uh, battle between two guys. It's been a seesaw, a real seesaw the last couple of years. Ryan Sklater, like joining Danny Demianenko as uh, one of the probably the, the main guy in that duo. They're scoring a ton of points for Montpellier this year, really uh, being a key part of that offense. And Shawan, a little bit of the opposite situation, playing in a better league, but in a uh, much, much, much reduced role. Yeah, like let's let's start with Sclater because that's the easy one, and I can keep my you know keep my cool while we while we talk about it. Um, Sclater had an absolutely fantastic season with Montpellier. They led the, the the league you know all year long, and I mean, really realistically, it they too kind of had that that Zaxa curse. They came up against a Chaumont team that had just picked up Filippo Lanza, right? And I know as much oh, as no. we, I know, I, no. I know, as, but like, okay, I, no, 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 here, I, I'm going on a different way with this. I know we, he's a scapegoat of the discord, you know, I, I know that he's usually brought up in a negative term, but let's just, let's not forget that he's a very, very quality player, right? But, but is and he better than Stephen Marshall? I don't think so. I don't I don't I think so. he's necessarily better than Stephen Marshall. I wouldn't say so either. But I think that when you infuse a player like that, who's kind of a big name and in, in, into a roster like that with, with, with those Cubans that 
A, it it gives the team a, a new life, but it also gives the team a bit of a new look too, right? Because all of a sudden, going into that playoff series, Montpellier has no video on this team. They have no video on what this team looks like with Philippe Lanza. Hell, they didn't even know what, what it was going to look like with, with Lanza out there, right? And he's still a quality player that's going to bring, you know what, while, while absolutely like Marshall's overall skill would, is, would probably be higher than Lanza, you know, Lanza might be a bit of a, a, of a bigger weapon offensively, you know? And you know, especially with his stature of volleyball, you're not telling me that those young Cuban guys didn't have, you know, a, a lot of respect, not saying that they didn't have anything for Stephen Marshall, but had, had a lot of respect going in. You know, I think it was a benefit benefit for cons to have played the um, uh, uh, show in, in the in the finals after they had kind of cooled off a bit. And otherwise, I, I really thought that it was Montpellier's to lose. Unfortunately, they did against uh, uh, against Chaumont, but Ryan Sclair was one of their top top scorers in the league all, all year long. And really, like, he drove the boat on that team, and he was the main reason that they got to where they were. And very consistent. And another thing I feel like people uh, who haven't watched him play professionally in France, there's probably a lot of people listening to this podcast. Let's be honest, it's not the most popular league for the average volleyball fan. He, he's really improved quite a bit from the tape I saw. Like, he's, he's really learning to use the block better. He's, uh, you know, he's got his go-to, go-to moves that he's, like really relying on recently serves gone a little bit better so i i'm, I'm a big fan of sclater and we don't really have the same certainty with shawan van evans because i think the last time i've seen him play volleyball is in uh october november yeah Almost other than month. getting a few a few sniffs yeah. and it's really hard i mean if it's 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 always been tough with shawan because he's always been a kind of one of those hot and cold players and then we know that when he's hot he's really one of the best but you know sometimes he's cold we go back to the 2019 olympic qualifiers in game one against mexico he gets to start plays all three sets and only scores like two or three points right so you know he has the tendency to kind of disappear sometimes uh and i mean i also think we need to remember that he's only what 22 23 years old so he's still very very young especially in the terms of canadian volleyball right when usually guys his age are you know, guys his age are on the next gen team right other than lepke lepke of course right but they you know they go to university they graduate and whereas he's he's done a lot Right. So this season for Perugia, he only scored 13 points in the regular season, which is absolutely mind blowing when you consider that last year for Ravenna, he scored 309. Right. And I mean, I've been over this so much, but it was just like he was never even given the chance. He played the, the semifinals of the Supercopa or whatever the, the first cup of the year is in Italy. They beat Modena. And then he has a not so great start in the finals. All of a sudden they put Terhorst in and that was it. And it seemed like he was just relegated to the, the, the bottom of the bench. I will say, though, and, I, and I've said this to you before, so this won't be a surprise to you, that hit, watching him on social medias and the way he was interacting with the team and, and the fire that he would and attention that he would come in with, the, the rare times that we saw him, gave me hope that he's not completely emotionally crushed, right? But I absolutely break it down to the fact that Trevitsa, Dragon Trevitsa is an absolutely old man and can't set the ball to, to 12 foot six where Shawan needs to hit it, right? He likes to set it fast. He likes to set it like, you know, basically the height of the antenna. And that's not Shawan has, 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 has to play, right? And I think that his inability to set the right side was specifically shown when Masi Mujai came in. And that's kind of when that really confirmed my whole theory with that. Uh, because he wasn't able to connect with him in this, this, the similar type of player. Like we've, we've spoken about it before. Um, but at the, like, so basically what it's breaking down to is that I still fully believe that Shawan Vernon Evans can be 
a world-class player and can be maybe potentially one of the best players in the world, right? But right now, the focus for him, and I, I think one of the focuses for this team needs to be how do we build his confidence back up? How do we get him back to, to the player player that he was? I think the injection of TJ Sanders into the setting lineup, uh, which we'll talk about to a section uh, in, in a second, is really what is going to help him blossom. Because you know what? It, like If we look back to the best version of Schwan version, Vernon Evans, it is when TJ is setting that ball, when he's clinically dissecting the other team's offense by, by the way he's setting that ball. And he's just getting Shawan Vernon Evans, not only one-on-ones that he's able to, to swing on openly, but also the, the type of ball that, that, that he needs. Um, so yeah, I, I think a, a, another big factor for this, um, for this Canadian national team is to rebuild the confidence of Shawan Vernon Evans, because you know that come August, he's going to be needed to, to, to block some balls. As good as Ryan Slater is, and I absolutely have him ranked as the number one right side, you know what? If we go up against Poland and you've got uh, Leon on one side, I don't, you know what? We're going to need a bigger block out there. And I mean, who better than Shawan Vernon Evans, who got to block him all year at practice? Yeah, I think I think you went over the, the entire situation without getting too, without saying too anything too uh, offensive there, Everett. So thank you for that. I, I, um, I think I I think I you know controlled myself very very well there, and I think people on the Discord will be maybe a little bit upset that I didn't get more emotional <laughs> about it. Well, and I think one thing people may not realize is that you can still get a lot of quality touches on a professional volleyball team, even if you're not playing necessarily in every match. Like, what do you say? I would say only. 15% of, of the touches they get are actual in-game scenarios. There's a lot of scrimmaging. There's a lot of uh, serve receive. Uh, there's a lot of drills. Uh, not everything they do is just the games you see it, especially when they're only playing once or twice a week. There's a lot of practices in, in between those. Uh, the question, I guess, is with all the, all the opposites they had on the team this year with the Tenisevich and Terhorst and in uh, Mashimuzai, was he, was he actually in a lot of the scrimmages, which is, which is a big question. But Everett, I'm going to put you on the spot here for a sec. Are yeah. you ready? Yeah, yeah. Let's do this. 2028. Who's going to be Canada's most important player? Eric Lepke or Shawan Vernon Evans? That's like, you're putting me in a position that I've never even thought about. Because like, like there's other, like, there's other people who are going to be coming up at, at that time too. You know? Like, if, like... If we want to jump off this team, if we look at this next gen team right now, that is the B team, right? This is the next coming. Like we saw that B team uh, kind of junior team thing of this team kind of start up 2009, 2010, 2011, 2012. In that time span, you have a lot of, of the guys who came up, you know, Gord, obviously, Graham, Blair, TJ. Nick, and then you know the other the other guys kind of Van Burkle, Dan Jens, Van Doren, and then the other guys kind of trickle trickle in after that. Um, but I think that this next gen team coming up, and of course, Shawan Virgin Evans is is a part of that that generation. As of Eric Klepke, you know, you've guys like got guys like Jesse Elser and, and Xander Ketrzynski, who very well could be world class players in friggin' seven years, dude. You know, like you're, you, you, I thought you were gonna throw me the 2024 question. Yeah, 2024 might have been. A, you, <laughs> a you just one. you just blew it out of the water and sent me to LA in 2028. You know, and like so, yeah, I like like. If, if we're going to talk about 2024, you know, uh, I think that Lepke might be, you know, I, I think we're going to see a Stephen Marr, Eric Lepke le left side duo. Uh, I, I really do. Um, and I, you know what? 
And I think that that's not taking any way, anything away from Schwan Vernevins. Evans. But I think in, in 2024, we're probably going to have this exact right side duo, maybe with the injection of, of a guy like Xander Kaczynski as well, um, you know, who's on that, that next gen team. And uh, I, I think he has tremendous potential and, and upside. Right. So um, yeah, like I, but I, but I think that Lepke is, is going to be uh, a special player on the left side for this team. Yeah, for sure. I mean, there's like basically no more of a sure thing right now than Eric Lepke. And he came out of the gates flying this year in Italy. It was so impressive to see. And, and I think, yeah, the, the Italian fans have noticed. Now it's time for international fans to notice. Um, should we move on? Do we, know to... where, do, do we know where Eric Lepke is going yet? I know we're jumping off the national team kind of vibe here. Oh, so like, do, do we know here where he's going yet? Lepke, if you're listening to this, can you let me know? <laughs> Um, you told me when I spoke to you that you would let me know once you know. So, like, I've I've heard some different things, but I'd like to I'd like to know where he, where he's going. Yeah, I have no idea, but I'm excited to see. Yeah. All right. Another interesting position for me, at least, is uh, setter, and I, I feel like you you more than anyone have a really good kind of feel on on the Canadian setters right now because even for me who follows the team quite closely, it was kind of tough figuring out what's going on with Brett, what's going on with Jay. And then we hear TJ Sanders, you've done podcasts with him. He's been on a couple other podcasts, is, is planning on uh, actually playing volleyball. I'd almost thought he'd, he'd retired. So what's uh, what's the setter situation right now? You know what? I think the setter situation is kind of an open is, is an open book. You know, I, I do stand by this depth chart I, I have. I think Jay's the, the number one. Uh, he's shown that time and time again. Um Brett had a very strong season playing for Hulk Bank. Obviously, Jay was at Izmir with uh, which Coach Hogue. So I think just that that um, you know that connection there. You know, I I don't see Glenn Hogue not prepping Jay Blanco all season long just to be able to to you know to you know to succeed at, at the Olympics. Um, for me, it's going to be how is TJ Sanders going to fit into this lineup? And the reality is that I don't know. Right, we don't know how healthy he is. He doesn't even know how healthy he's going to be. The fact that he's been able to do two a days at the NEP is absolutely massive. Um, I suspect that um, I will. I will probably do an update with him at some point just to just to figure it out. But I mean, it, it really can't be under undersold how important TJ Sanders is to this team uh, on a lot of levels. And I mean, if you want to, we can chalk that 2017 World League bronze medal run basically to to him and his team and i mean we talked a little bit touched a little bit on it in in our pod my podcast with him about that was kind of as he was just figuring everything out you know and as he was he was like figuring his game out and then you know as he's preparing for the 2018 uh world championships that's when every start things started to break down with his back but the reality is is that his injury is one that can't really be healed um and so it's really going to be about managing it. So that's why I think that the the trio of setters is really going to be important. And that's what I think that makes Canada such a difficult team to play against is that I think every setter brings the team a, like a bit of a different look and a bit of a different demeanor, you know, and I, and I talk about it a lot. I really think that the, the setter is the closest thing that you're going to find in any sport to a quarterback and that, you know, it, it, it's, it's widely known that the quarterbacks are the most important player um, players in football. And I really think the same is true. Um, in, in volleyball, I think that your team is going to take on the demeanor of the player who's going to touch every second ball. You know, they're, they're touching a ball every single rally and how they're able to manage the, you know, the emotions of the moment, the emotions of, of their teams is, is really important to how, how a team plays. 
And I think that, you know, one of the benefits that Team Canada has is that, as I said, this team has a bit of a different look given who we're at, who, who's out there, right? The speed that we play with and creativity that we play with with Jay Blancano is, is absolutely incredible. TJ Sanders is going to be out there and he's going to dissect you mentally and, you know, almost know what he's going to be doing over the course of a set, like a chess match in the best ways to di dissect that team. And Brett Walsh is a bit of a mixture uh, of the both with adding some, uh, adding in some very, you know, uh, exciting um, athletic setting. Right. So I, I don't think you can go wrong with, with any of the three. It's more, how do we apply them in different scenarios? Great, great points, Everett. And I think uh, there's a lot to go over there, but I think uh, when you're talking about Jay Blancano versus Brett Walsh, I think it's good to point out that Jay did have, I think, the much better season in Turkey this year. I mean, he's he's on the the top of the depth de chart for the reason. The only way TJ is is at the bottom, or only reason TJ is at the bottom, sorry, is because we just don't know, right? We don't know what he looks like playing volleyball because we saw him in a one match scenario against Cuba. And we don't know how, how healthy he's going to be, but yeah, I, I think that Jay is going to be the go-to guy from, from the get-go. Um, and then we're going to see how, how the uh, other guys fit in. But I mean, another thing to, just to, to think about too, is that if TJ is healthy, maybe we let him run a little bit. Um, even if he's not, you know, if you, even if he has to knock a little bit of rust off, just because Jay did play, probably literally every set for Arcus this year. I mean, he was their team. You know, he was scoring points on his serve. He was scoring points every match offensively, right? I don't think that there's a, there's, I don't think there's a professional setter in the world that scores as many offensive points as Jay Blankenau, right? Um, and that's why, like, the creativity of the offense when he comes in and the fact that that second ball is always a possibility and also always lethal with him, you know, gives the team another dimension that most teams in the world just can't. Yeah, Jay, Jay, Jay is always super fun to watch. And I, I, I think it was, was on your podcast that TJ was talking about, oh, yeah, Everett, I'm finally jump serving again. I can finally, uh, won't have to do the uh, standing float. I thought that was hilarious. But it is a little risky to rely on a guy that is really proud of the fact that he could now only just start jump serving again. Yeah, absolutely. So that's why I think that the trio of them are really going to be working together for, you know, the, the majority majority of the matches that's what i i would like to see anyways who knows i'm not i'm not coach hogue though and we all know what of a genius mastermind he is so i, I never kind of question it yeah yeah no, i think you said everyone will get a shot and we'll, we'll see which of them uh works works the best with the lineups that they put out there and finally last but not least the libero which i think is a pretty pretty easy discussion here only really two guys that you have in your depth chart Blair Ban's going to be the start of the perpetually underrated Blair Ban. I even get comments on my top 10 libero video still being like, well, who is this? Who is Blair Ban? I've never even heard of him before. And I'm like, this is the, this know, is the state of, of, of Canadian and American liberos playing overseas and Australian liberos. So, you know like, what? so underrated. Absolutely. You 100% said it, right? Because the, the reality is, is that the best leagues in the world, Poland, Russia, Italy, all have foreigner limits. Right. And if you are going to spend your foreigner on a libero, they've got to be damn good. And not only do they have to be damn good, but do they have to have a big name and big credentials to them? I know Blair Band has that 2017 best libero in the tournament uh, at, at the World League. But other than that, you know, 
Um, because we don't tend to stat liberos, just another one of my qualms with this sport that we we both cover. We don't do any stats officially. Every team has like a full stats department that works continuously through throughout the game, and we spend so much money on it in volleyball, and then it doesn't transfer over to the professional and and broadcasting side. But we will not touch that. But it, whenever like like best libero stats are often just given by like an eye test. Right. And it's just kind of like, yeah, we know Eric Shoji. We know he's really good. No, nothing's saying against him. But I think that sometimes, you know, Blair Ban is is one of the best in the world. And sometimes he's not recognized for that. I am very excited, though, that he's signed with Friedrichshafen next year. That is going to be huge. He's going to get to play some Champions League matches and really going to show off what, what he's got. Yeah, I love that he's playing in Champions League. And yeah, like you said, we, we need to move to the uh, the three or four point uh, passing system because it's, it's just a lot better and a lot easier to understand for everyone. Yeah. And I think the th- thing with the Barrows in the top leagues, they're going to prioritize reception, especially in a, a league like Italy, where the serves are coming huge every single uh, match, every single serve. And, and Ban is a great, great at reception, but he's probably a little bit more of a value in the back row defense, floor defense as well. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, he's not Satorsky out here who's, or, you know, Grabenikov, who's going to be taking up a, l- a large position of the court in, in serve receive. And I mean, this part of the strength is if you look at that outside core, every single bo- guy on, on, on that roster can pass the ball, right? So Bland isn't necessarily, you know, looked at to being the, uh, taking a huge chunk of the serve receive, but defensively in the way he runs the team out of system as well, you know, he's, he's absolutely, absolutely world-class, right? And like, if, if you like watching Jania Grabenikov play, and he's he's very energetic he tracks down balls like it's very much the the, the way you know hurricane band players plays hurricane band all right um yeah. another player with a good nickname uh the ice cream man i think i think you might have even come up with that one on Stephen marshall I, I did is is he uh is he still how was his injury because uh if you referenced it earlier in the podcast but he didn't play in the last few games for yeah uh, so um i i'm pretty sure what he told me was that um it was a a, a torn oblique uh, in, in his side. So he was trying, yeah, he was <laughs> trying to see if he was going to be available for the finals even. So I-, I think that's something that just may, may need a little bit time to heal and that he should be good kind of late later on, uh, in the year. But yeah, I mean, that's definitely a, a big question mark for the team, especially because I mentioned before, he might be a guy that could slot in to that f- fifth left side position. Obviously he just played the year in France. Um, I mean, hey, let's go back to the 2015 Norseka Grand Champions when he played on the right side and Canada beat the States like fully loaded in the finals, right? So we all know that Stephen Marshall is an absolute baller and whether he's wearing the the same jersey as everyone else or not, you know, he's going to go out there and play hard. Yeah, I think I think we were talking to Discord about trying to think of a player who's played both opposite and libero. And I think he was the, he was the only one we could come up with. Um, yeah. If, if say, Marshall can't play because he's injured and we have to bring a second libero, who who would be the next guy up here? Tyler Kozlowski, maybe. Yeah, I know I think he's would... been with the national team in in a while, and I, I think that might be just be be a bit of a of a stretch. But ultimately, like you know, if you're going through like going through team the national team, actually, here we can we can we can do this. We'll just jump over to to the Volleyball Canada website real quick and like look at what they have posted at the national team. And I mean, you guys got guys like Justin Duff and Jeremy Davies on this roster who, you know, haven't played volleyball in a little bit, but that would basically be, yeah, the only, the only, um, sorry, I'm blanking here. The only other Canadian libero that I can think of is Tyler Kozlowski, who, you know, has been, 
at this point, like you can almost call him German by the fact <laughs> that he's only played for one club and like owns a coffee shop in Lundberg. Right. But, uh, but yeah, it's, that's why I'm saying that like our, our depth chart right now is very shallow, but that next generation of kids, like if you're looking at like a guy like Justin Louie, like whew, Justin Louie might be like, he might be the truth, you know, um, he's, he, he's going to be something special. I, I really think so. I, I've never seen uh, a libero make reads quite like him. He's it's, he almost knows what's happening before it happens. And I mean, like he, he went to Stanford on a full ride academic scholarship. So, you know, he's smart. Yeah, I, mean, I think I need to go check out more Justin Louis. Uh, I mean, I've, I've heard his name a million times. Obviously, I think uh, I think Josh did a podcast with him as well at some point that yep. I listened to. Uh, definitely a really smart guy. Yeah, our next libero, hopefully. So before we go on to our next uh, team here, whichever it's going to go over here quickly as well, um, do you want to do a couple? I have a couple of questions for you to put you on the spot here a bit. Yeah, yeah let's go. Okay. Um, who's going to win Nations League? I will remember last. They, 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 I feel like they always send their uh, B or C team. I, I, I don't know if they'll be able to get they, the A No, team but they, they have this thing. Like back in 2016, they won uh, uh, World League. Okay. And because they had their friggin' roster and they were like, we're going out to win it because we're not at the Olympics and we're going out to win it. Right. Whereas, Very similar you know, situation this year. You're right. Yeah. That, that's that's exactly what I'm saying, right? So that's why I'm I'm wondering, like, what's their what's their roster like? Do they do they have their guys? Like, we have Antonisievich, we have Putke, do we have Lishniak? You know, like, is it going to be their guys, or like, you know, uh, are we going to be seeing um, what's his face from Scraw out there? Alexander Oklic? No, Dusan Pekovic. No, no, no. Du- Dusan Pekovic. You know, um, okay. but I mean, I, I I think that you have to look at Brazil always. You know, and I think you have to look at Poland. Like for, for me, I, I think everything's going to be deal- coming down right now to either Poland or Russia. You know, those two teams are going to be stacked depending on what athletes they bring to the tournament. And I, to be honest, I haven't really looked. Uh, both of those teams are kind of picking from a, a wealth of players, right? It, uh, other, I don't know if other teams can, can keep up uh, on the same level uh, as, as those two teams. So I really think it's going to come down to, to Poland and, and Russia. I mean, I, I think there's going to be plenty of other good teams, but uh, I mean, Poland with, was like, like, is Leon going to play Nations League? Do we know that? Mm, I'm not sure. I'm pretty sure Poland's going to split their roster up somehow, though. Uh, yeah. So they, they have I, enough I, players to do it. <laughs> Let's be honest. Absolutely. Like, I've, I've seen people talk about it. You know, I think that it's going to be very interesting to see what happens with the USA this year without Aaron Russell. That was or such Taylor a huge Sander. blow. Uh, right? Taylor Sander. No. I think Taylor no, Sander is going to be fine. Sorry, you're right. Right. Taylor Sanders is, is going to be fine. He, he is fine. He's just, you know, nurse kind of uh, something all, all, all year long. Um, but yeah, having no Aaron Russell. And having that P2 position be a question mark for the USA is an absolute huge blow for them, right? Do you move Anderson over to the left side? You put Patch in, right? Do you go to uh, Garrett Megatatia, right? Or do you go to TJ DeFalco? I'm, I'm going to DeFalco or Jayski for sure, especially because he saw Jayski play an entire season. Maybe not yeah. pr- prime Jayski, but pretty close to it. So, you know what? I, I think the US is definitely going to be an interesting team to. Uh, to to watch as well but i think that without russell i don't know if they have enough in the tank to take down poland or poland or russia or or brazil because they were that was i I think everyone like looking at usa okay this is this is the year definitely a gold medal contender and uh without russell we'll 
both of us will probably talk a lot more about that as we go into the summer and throughout the summer, but devastating, absolutely devastating for the US. And then um, my next question, most, what player do you think, you can't pick Eric, Eric Lepke for this, by the way. What player do you think fans are going to start knowing the name of after this Nations? Because I feel like Nations League, it's kind of how we, we find out about these young, like the next generation talented guys, like found out about Shawan a couple years ago, Yuji Nishida a couple years ago. I feel like it's the introduction for a lot of fans to new players. I mean, that I feel like that one's a, a hard one for me because I don't know the young guys coming up as, as well as you do, right? Yeah. Like, I, I could probably only really go with an Eric Lepke or if you don't already know who Arthur Schwartz is, maybe Arthur Schwartz. Um, you know, uh, other than that... Should have like, said I, you I, can't pick a Canadian. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, I, I don't really know. Like, I don't know the in-depth rosters of of all of the different teams like like you do. Um, you know, like is Semenya could Semenik Semenyuk be considered to that because he's never really yeah. played on the national team, you know, like we've as Adnus has said, has said before in the chat that like, yeah, absolutely. Like we've never really seen Camille Semenyuk suit up on, on the, the national team and only in situations where it's like a kind of a C or a B team roster. Right. So I think that we're going to see him, especially the year after year he's had, see him suit up and, and do some good things. Um, he could be someone, but I'm going to throw that one back to you because I want to, I, you, as you know, the guys way more than I am. So I'm interested to know who, who you think. Yeah. I mean, obviously we have to see the, the full rosters eventually. And also shout out to a video I posted on YouTube, top prospects in volleyball. So check that out. But I think one guy who's clear is that's going to get a big chance this year and who's already being hyped up a lot is Ron Takahashi, the Japanese outside hitter is kind of being dubbed as the third piece of the puzzle between Nishida and uh, and uh, Yuki Ishikawa, which, in my opinion, that's the second outsider is probably the least, the last position they needed given the rest of their roster. But definitely a guy that's is very very similar to Ishikawa, uh, kind of undersized outside hitter, but extremely technically adept and also very very strong athlete as well. Even though they may not lift a lot in the weight room, <laughs> there's other there's other there's other parts of athleticism. Also. I've mentioned him before, but uh, my Mr. Rock Mozic for Slovenia, I think, is, is going to be a future star going forward. And I really hope that news comes out that he's going to be playing in Italy soon. You know what? I, I, I actually, I'm going to come back. I think that uh, if Mattia Batolo is on the roster for Italy, I think that Patolo is going to come out and do some things. I didn't watch a lot of Padova this year, but when I did, I was yeah. I was like, who's this kid? Like, where did, where did he come from? I I think that if Patolo's on, you know, wearing, if he's, if he's, if he's, you know, wearing the Azuri blue, that I think he's going to be doing some special things out there. Yeah, I think I like Patolo when he was out there and I hope he does get some playing time. But I mean, people, I would say Micheletto, maybe it's kind of cheating, but he'd probably be the, the more uh, because we already he's already starting in yeah. a Champions League super or playing but, in a Champions League super finals, but yeah, I I don't know I don't for Wait. some reason I don't know what it is, but I just don't see um, Micheletto being as uh, effective at the national team level as he was for Trentino, mainly because especially when you're looking at Italy, they don't have that big right side who's going to be able to take a lot of pressure off him in terms of like when you're playing on the left side for Italy, you need to take a bigger load than playing on the left side for Trentino. Yeah, I mean, I I, maybe Michelito's not quite there, but I have to say after watching him play in person and being being around him, that guy is like a future superstar in volleyball. He is unbelievable. And also, 
I don't, I don't know if it come, comes across on TV how big he is. Like he's like a head taller than Marco Pedrashen. And he, if, if we we're going to say like in the NBA, he's like, I would say he's like a seven footer. Like he is absolutely gigantic. Yay. Moves so well for his size. And the fact that he's like, okay, yeah, his attacking, you know, skills, his attacking technique, definitely not there yet. But that's, you know, that's the last piece of a puzzle. When, if attacking is the last piece of the puzzle and you're seven foot tall outside hitter, that's like the recipe for one of the best players I think in volleyball, like in the next decade. I, I'm such a big Micheletto fan now, especially since he's a lefty too, right? Yes, like, exactly. We've never we have never seen a player like this, you know, but you know, a player like Micheletto in terms of his size, his stature, the fact that he's a lefty that he can pass as well as he can at 18 years old on the left side for a team in the Champions League finals. You know what? And like he's replacing in that situation an, an absolute veteran and, you know, uh, one of the guys who they thought were going to was going to run the show for them for for Dick Coy and in Dick Coy and Micheletto, like when he stepped in there, uh, when was it the second set? Uh, yeah. things turned around for Trentino in that Champions League final, right? So, yeah, absolutely. I, I definitely agree. I, I think those young guys, um, uh, yeah, I mean, it's tough to say so many of these teams' rosters, it's either going to be teams getting ready for the Olympics, so it's going to be just their their vets and, and their go-to guys, or it's going to be kind of a half and half. And so I, I don't really know. Maybe is, is Tim Grozier going to be getting in for Germany? Is he is he going to be featured on that roster? He had a great year for Frankfurt this year. And, you know, what Gregor Grozier's little brother, uh, love to see. I've heard he's got a cannon just as much as uh, as his older brother. Well, I would say Linus Faber is definitely the guy who's going to be uh, the next, next stop at the opposite position for Germany. Um, played in uh, Friedrichshafen last year. Was, okay. was one of, was one of their oh, you're, you're right. Yeah, top yeah, yeah. score almost every match going to Italy next year. He's kind of been uh, put under the helm of Andrea Gianni. He's followed him around the past few seasons, gotten some personal coaching. He, he, he looks pretty good. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Be stoked to see him with Blair Band next season. And last, last one ever before we uh, end the podcast today, let's talk a little bit about Argentina because they have them as my ninth ranked team in the VNL. And as we know, I put I kind of put them here. There's a lot of history between uh, Canada and Argentina. They've they've got the better of us in some in some tough losses the last few years, some unexpected losses the past few years. But I think they're a very interesting team, a very fun team. Another team with with a few question marks, some young players coming up, and some veteran guys who are close to retiring from the national team. Um, do you want to just let's do some roster predictions? Yeah, so that that's where it's it's going to be maybe a little bit tougher uh, with with this roster, um, just mainly because we don't know who's going to be a part of it. Are we going to see Facundo Conte? Are we going to see Luciano De Cecco? Right. Um, so far, like the only thing that we've seen come out uh, 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 from Argentina is their their early training roster, and that was about seventeen guys. And I mean, it's a whole bunch oh, of guys. We, we that, don't have to talk about <laughs> those names. Even I didn't yeah. had no idea who those guys were. You know, you know like I, I searched a few. One of them, like the setter, Matias Gerardo, played at Nice this year in France. And that was, you know, a basement-dwelling team. So not entirely sure. But yeah, when you talk about Argentina and, and what they can bring to the table, when you talk about Luciano De Checo, when you talk about Facundo Conte, when you talk about that middle pairing that is uh, Soleil and uh, Crier, and then also, too, when you talk about August Stan Lozaire, who had a great season for um, Tokoying this year in, in, in oh. France. I was going to ask because you're kind of the, you've kind of been the French expert this season, but the uh, the Torquin trio of 
Augustin Lucera, Mateo Sanchez, and Luciano Polanski, another potential yeah. guy who uh, who may a lot of fans may not know, but is I think is going to be a big uh, big player for the Argentinian national team going forward, yeah. the outside hitter. Uh, yeah, I think well, was Polanski on the outside or is he in the opposite? I, I thought it was outside, but he might have been playing. Okay. I'm pretty sure he's the outside hitter because Sasa Starovich okay. was playing opposite at least the beginning of the season. Okay, or, yeah, uh, you're, you're right. Um, because they have also, I'm pretty sure they have another Polanski on uh, on Argentina who's who's a lefty on the right side, if, I, if I'm remembering correctly. Um, and then they brought in Arpa Baroti yeah. later on. Um, but yeah, I think Argentina is is. They're the one team, and I asked TJ on our podcast, is Argentina our kryptonite? He said no, which I respect that answer. I really do. Like, I, I think that is probably a real answer for him, you know, and the way that he breaks down the game, which is much a higher level than I do. But for me, yes, they're absolutely our kryptonite. They are a, a very skill-based team. And they have such a high level of skill. And that's why for so long, especially at the early, the beginning of the decade, Argentina was winning. Like they they were, you know, they were winning juniors on the regular basis. And they were a top tank ranked team on the regular basis on, on the junior level. And their over their overall level of skill. And I mean, as we saw it with how good they were at the world cup when they didn't have any of their guys and guys like Matias Sanchez, who's what, you know, five foot five is out there just slinging butter. Like no one else can. Right. And so, yeah, like, like Argentina is one of those teams that's so skilled that they're so hard to game plan against. And that's where it really breaks down for team Canada. I feel like, because they are so skilled that like passing dimes for them is, is not that hard. Um, you have to put a lot of pressure on them to break their serve receive. And then the fact that they just, they're able to pass so well and they just run everything through Saleh and Creer and, and Lozaire in the middle, like it's very difficult. And like, it, it, no matter if it's Sanchez or Decheco or, you know, or Yarte sitting, setting for them, they have a, always have a good option, especially because they, I always find that the Argentinian middles hit so differently. They, they, approach way closer to the center and they create a lot of space by opening up their shoulders up and, and, and that way. And they yeah, just seem to be able to cut around our, our block and they really just nullify us in the middle. So it's really going to be come down to what team does Argentina have out there? Because it's another team, you know, we lost to them at the Olympic qualifiers uh, in where were we? Were we to Russia? No. Where, where did we do Olympic qualifiers? Oh. Was it Netherlands maybe? I can't, I can't even remember now. That was 2019. It was a long time ago. Whatever. We didn't get to host it. Maybe it was Korea. I think it was Korea. doesn't matter. Um, and uh, yeah, you know, like they, they, they just nullified us in the middle. Um, so it really depends. Are they going to bring their guys to, 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 to get ready for the Olympics or is it going to be of a di different roster? Given the fact that they've already named like, uh, the, the the 17 players that they've named i guess you can name like 24 to your training roster so okay. that would kind of be the, the rest of that you know the rest of those guys i'm guessing yeah so maybe we, we don't see argentina bring especially maybe someone like a conte who had a kind of a frustrating season there losing in the quarterfinals in brazil for sada cruzeiro yeah and and uh luciano de Checo, very long season that's successful at least for the for uh them but yeah argentina is interesting because in theory if you break down their service reception they, they they could be a really crappy team if they're playing out of system if, if they're if they're playing a lot of a uh, highball stuff they're like they're outside hitters in opposite like bruno lima like he's not going to beat you by himself on highballs no way so but like you said 
it's so hard to do. It sounds easy to do, but I mean, Santiago Donani had another season leading in Italy, like making like Leon and Namira Delzies just passing their serves like too easily. Like, what what's what's what are teams at the bottom half of the VNL going to do against Santiago Donani? They're not going to be able to break his his reception. So. Yeah, they're, they're a really fun team to watch, though, too. I, I, I kind of selfishly hope Sa Mateus Sanchez <laughs> is, the, uh, is the player for most of VNL because he is incredibly entertaining to watch as a setter. Yeah, I mean, we're probably going to see a, a mixture of, of Mateus Sanchez and Nicolas Uriate uh, for, for Argentina. Do I think that Decheco is going to be one of playing in those, those matches? Absolutely not. <laughs> you know, and this is this is this is not from me knowing anything, just watching his demeanor usually on the court and that it's, you know, like he, he looks like he he's, you know, dr drank a few beers before before every match just to just to loosen up. Now, I, I don't know this from any fact whatsoever. So don't go saying there that I'm, I'm like spreading these rumors. Right. But like he, he looks like a guy that he's never been a guy to me that struck to, struck to me like I'm in it for the grind. You know, he's a very, very talented setter and arguably one of the best setters in the world. And I think that his ability to like, he's just one of those natural guys that is, is just turns it on when, when he wants to. And I mean, that's exactly why Lube won the super league of this year because Luciano de turned it on and started going for it. Yeah. If he gave Luciano de Checo and put him in like Jay blank in his body, I think that would be by far the best setter in the, in the world. Absolutely. But, uh, yeah. Yeah. You know, it's yeah. Sorry, go ahead. I was going to say Argentina. Um, I feel like the, the next few teams I'm going to talk about on the future podcast um, are kind of, we're all in this kind of middle molasses of, of the world rankings where we're definitely better than Australia. We're definitely better than China. We're, but like well, you know, like, we're with Japan, who, we're with Bulgaria, Argentina, who, Canada. Who do you have coming up right now? Because like, is Belgium in this? No, no, no. no. Okay. Um, like, can, can, can you guess who I have next? Because there's an Asian team I haven't mentioned yet. Iran is going is is going to be higher, I would think. Is Iran at nine? No, we're at. I would ten. put Iran we did at ten like, and nine. So we did ten and nine. So we did. Keep Canada in mind, we have we have Argentina. Think about the teams we have next. France. Okay. Poland. Okay. There's France, France, Poland, Russia, Italy, uh, USA, Brazil, um, Serbia. So, yeah, I mean, I, I guess <laughs> yeah. at this point. Which, you, which you one of those teams looking. do you have uh, above Iran? No, really? then I guess then I guess Iran probably slots in at eight. Do I think that they're going to finish there? No, like I, like I think that Italy, depending on the roster that they that they bring, like True. if there's no Wanta for if if there's no Wanta for Italy, you know, I, I see Italy maybe finishing in the double digits. You know, like if there's no Wanta for Italy, it's a rebuilding session. And I don't think they're real. I, the fact that the bubble is taking place in Italy, though, hmm. that that could that could that could be a factor, but. We'll see. I mean, if they had fans and stuff, I think it might be. But you're telling me that Wantarena wants to go play three games a day as well after after having the long season that he did. He's like what thirty something, thirty a lot. Wantarena is a machine, Everett. He's he he can, he can take it. He can do it. Hey man, even even LeBron is jumping on that you know <laughs> self care and uh, I, load management tip, right? So I'm more worried about Zaitsev because I, I feel like Wantarena at least they have a couple guys, but where are they gonna play? Behind yeah, Zaitsev. I mean, and I, like that's another guy, right? Do you think Zaitsev is going to be be playing every match? Do you think Zaitsev is going to play more than half the matches for Italy? Mm, no, and like, didn't didn't 
I, I can't remember who was saying in the chat that I think they might be doing kind of one of those half and half things as, as, as well for, for Italy. But I mean, I definitely understand. I wouldn't slot Italy in higher than like, like seventh though. Yeah. But I don't want to give everything away. <laughs> Just oh, yet. Come on. But I, I think All people right. can have a pretty good idea of mostly how things will go from here. Cause there's, I don't think there's, I, I feel like this middle area is the most interesting to debate. Yeah, absolutely. Like I think on the men's side, it's really, you've got, in my opinion, you've got Poland and Russia, and then there's a step down from, from there. And then you've got kind of Brazil. Like, I, I don't know if Brazil, like Brazil's kind of just scattered for me right now. Like they don't have that. They just don't have the athletes that they did kind of in the two thousands, you know, and obviously they're going to be a team, but like, I don't know. Like I, I think they'll they'll finish on the podium, but I'm not entirely I mean, sure. What they still have Bruno, Lucas, Isaac Santos, Lucarelli, Leal, Alan Souza, okay, yeah. Wallace, um, Mike, yeah, Talis okay. Haas, Tiago Brandlick. But I still don't see that being as good as what Russia and Poland brings to the table. I really don't. Um, Maybe me like for player for player of no, but maybe I guess if you look at it like a Canada point of view, like their tactics and and how the Brazilian national team plays, absolutely. But yeah, I I think it's going to be interesting. I would know. say top fifteen for sure. Poland and Russia would be better, but if you're just going top seven, I think I think that's a lot closer for Brazil. Yeah, I I, I guess you're right. I mean, I, I, Brazil is going to play t- uh, tough uh, teams, tough anyways, right? They they're the most skilled team in the world. They're the, the best tactical team in the world as as well, too, generally. So I think it's really just like what kind of physicality can do they can do they bring to the table? And I don't know, Russia and Poland are <laughs> physical. Yeah. So Everett, anything else you want to go over? Talk about VNL pending topics. We have, I think we're playing Canada, USA on the first day, May 28th, 22 days. Yeah, I actually, here, let's, we can jump over to the schedule right now. I don't think it's the entire schedule because I've just got it on Google. Actually, we'll, we can go to the, to the official like VNL schedule. Um, just to, yeah, just to start it off. But yeah, absolutely. Canada, USA to kick things off is, is going to be, uh, phenomenal. Um, also, just a shout out to anyone who cares. I will probably be, or not probably, I will be, thanks a lot, Volleyball World, an internal server error uh, when you try to bring up the schedule. Uh, I will be doing a preview for the women's national team uh, as well, too, um, because they are going to be competing in their first ever Volleyball Nations League, which is hella exciting. Uh, we've, we've talked about it before, Dan, that this was hands down the best year for oh, the I know, that was so lucky. Kind of ever and yeah. uh it's it's really a new dawn of the, the canadian women's national team so that's going to be exciting um of course yeah gender let's just talk about men all right this is what we've got looking for um and so it correct me if i'm wrong but basically it goes like men three day or women three days men three days women three days men three days i think that's that's this the the schedule um so for the men's team, it goes USA, Argentina, Brazil. Wow. Three bangers of a match to start things off. That's going to be difficult for sure, um, especially since the team is kind of going to be just getting back together um, at that point. Yeah, uh, I, we'll um, see. Sometimes it's good to play the good teams at the beginning, catch one of them on their off days before they hit a groove. I don't know. We'll see. Yeah. I, that, that Argentina then feels it, like a trap goes, game, though. <laughs> hundred percent. It's a trap game, but you know what? Let's just get it rid of like out of the way early. 
Yeah. And then, uh, then, you know, we can take on other teams, uh, other teams uh, later on. Um, but as I've said, we have very good history of taking on the USA, in the first match of a tournament, uh, looking back to the 2016 Olympics. Um, and it, it might be a kind of let's figure it out game for, for the USA without Aaron Russell out there. So I think obviously that one's going to be a marquee matchup, no matter what, I think all three of these games really are. Um, then you go into the next three games, um, Iran, Bulgaria, Italy. And I think this one is really important for that, that third, that third place or that, that middle pack, because it's all teams in that, that same area, uh, uh, as Canada. Um, I would love to see us go three and zero here, right? If, if I think, I, I think that there's the potential of potentially sweeping that, that second block of matches that, that would be, that would be great. I think we have to if, if if Canada wants to make an actual run at going to the final six. That's that's going to be the make or break. If they don't win all three, then I think that's that kind of prospect is probably over. Yeah, um, I don't know if you know the the final six is necessarily the goal for. It's for not, this. but it, but it, it's in the it's in the cards. I think right. Hundred percent, absolutely. It, like when when they're when they're at their best, they're they're one of the best, and they can beat anyone, right? But I, I do think that it's going to take a little bit of time to get there and to, and to get things rolling uh, on this team. Plus, remember, with um, Nations League, we do have some pretty, a lot of uh, world ranking points on the line here. So it's not like uh, there's nothing to these games, really. You're right. You're right. Um, the third block, Slovenia, Russia, France. Um, that one's going to be uh, another interesting one, too. Um, we don't have a, I don't, I can't tell you the last time or if we've ever played Slovenia. Um, so that one's going to be an interesting one. I almost think that we're going to have a hard time with Slovenia because first of all, their entire system was built by Glenn Hogue, right? When he was coaching at, at, uh, ACH or at the time it was bled, but now it's Ljubljana, uh, in, in Slovenia. Um, right. Um, so I think that's going to be a tough one and they play a very skilled game with Sabul and, and earn out. Like I, I love watching, uh, watching the way Slovenia plays and I've loved watching them at the world Champion, European championships, the past, you know, few cycles now they, they're, they're always electric to watch and they're, they're always fun. So I think that that one's going to be a good game. And then, you know, Russia and France, like that's two, two of the, the, the best teams there, you know, Russia obviously is going to be a tough one. They're absolutely loaded and France plays very similar to us. Like obviously, our, our system is based quite a bit off the French system. Glenn Hogue coached there for a long time. He was assistant on the French national team before coming to uh, back to Canada. Um, there's a lot of parallels there. So it, it, it's really going to depend on who, which players either side is, is putting on. Like, are, are we going to be seeing Engebeth and Antoniti for France? Or, you know, are we going to be seeing some, some other people um, in there? Poland, obviously that's going to be weird, but then like our second half, like the last bit of the schedule for Canada is where we're really going to start to run, which I think is actually perfect for looking at the Olympics, right? Because I think we might get beat up a little bit in the first half, but then after Poland, you've got Germany, Japan, Netherlands, Australia, and then Serbia. And to me, in my eyes, depending on maybe not Serbia, but that Germany, Japan, Netherlands, and Australia, those are all must win games and must game win games in the, in the sense of it's, it's now we need to know how to win, right? Maybe we were figuring out our systems and figuring out, you know, getting gelled again in those earlier games, because like we have to basically run the gauntlet of, of, of good teams uh, throughout the, the early schedule. But once we get to that point and we have to play those four teams, I would love to see us kind of 
sweep the, you know, like run the, run the table for the last five games of nations league and just win, win outright those last five games, no matter if it's to get into the final six or not. Yeah, that would be, that'd be a really good ending. And, and like you kind of mentioned earlier, it actually is probably a benefit to play those teams at the beginning. Also due to the fact that maybe some of their star players um, for a lot of the top countries who had their top players playing in the top clubs around the world will skip the first half of nations league join in on the later date but if canada's already played them that's that's a huge advantage especially if we're bringing our full strong roster from the beginning yeah absolutely i mean to to be perfectly honest when i'm looking at this this nations league um year it's it's really not about especially because we're not playing at home at all so there's not that like, like for me, there's always that extra pressure to have a great showing at home, you know, put on a show for the fans, make sure that, you know, that's always when we get TV time on CBC, like make sure that it's a good show for that. But just because it's, it's, you know, in this bubble and it's the, the schedule is the way it is. It's going to be a grueling schedule, three games on, three games off, three games on, three games off. No other sport but volleyball would would make a schedule like this because obviously the old whites who run the show at the FEVB don't actually care about the athletes. They just use them as expendable, you know, almost like tissues, but I digress. Um, yeah, it, it, it's going to be it's going to be a long slog. And the goal really, especially like if this was a normal and VNL season and we hadn't lost the entire last national team season to COVID, it would be a different story. Right. For sure, because, for sure. because the last time we've seen this team together was a year and a half ago. I know they did train together a little bit in Gatineau last year, but it's just, it's just not the same as getting ready for, for uh, an event. And you know what I, if there's one thing that I believe in, in this team, the most it's, their ability to come together and find ways to win together. And that takes some time, you know, it's going to take some, some time to get it going. So let's not be surprised if things start off poorly on the statistic end, because I believe fully that they will figure things out by the end of the road. I have some faith over it. Come on. Canada's going to come out of the gate strong, going to crush a few teams, grab a few wins. You know what? And, and I, and like, I think so too. And I would be, happy if they did that but what i'm saying is like let's not be surprised if the other if the other side happens a let's not be surprised and b let's not act like it's at the end of the world either because you know what um you know as the 2019 world champions toronto raptors know you know it's not how strong you start it's really how you finish so and that's the story of the summer for sure everyone's building up towards the olympics european championships but I still think I'm really excited, just like you said. It's, it's fun to see the guys in national team jerseys. It's fun to see this competition that we haven't had the opportunity to see in two years. It's crazy. Um, so, I, I, you know, it's just going to be fun. We'll see if the FFVB has any cool production stuff they're doing. They're trying anything new. They've had two years here to think about, uh, to think about things. So hopefully they bring, out, they bring out something new and fresh. And I'm, just, I'm looking forward to seeing uh, the storylines because there's going to be some fun ones. Yeah, um, it's, it's going to be great. Like all of the games, the earliest they start is 8 a.m. Um, so, oh, that's no, that's general time. So that's not even Easter time, Eastern time. It's perfect Yikes. for the Europe. It's perfect for the Europeans. Ah, oh, <laughs> great. This is going to be, you know what? My only saving grace is, oh, no, that sucks too. So I'm going to have to move houses and watch VNL at the same time. That's, yeah. that's what I've got to do because. 
VNL starts on the 14th and I, uh, does it start on the 14th? No. 28th. 28th. Where was I getting the 14th from? Okay. You got to move fast here. Yeah. I mean, we get, I get keys to my, to my, my girlfriend, and I get our keys in the new place on the 15th. So things get started for the women's on the 25th and men on men on the 28th. So, okay. I've, I've got 10 days to get, to get things <laughs> set up and, and, and good to go. Plenty um, of time. Plenty but yeah, of time. absolutely. I, I'm, I'm stoked to just watch like literally Canada is going to be playing every single day for how many days? 25th to June 28th. So almost like two months. A month. Month. Yes. Yes. A month. A month. June 28th is a month. It's late over there in Europe, right? <laughs> so, but yeah, like it's it's literally going to be a Canada game a day. So, um, yeah, I'm. It, it's it's going to be, and it's going to be easy. It's going to be easy to watch. No. Easy. <laughs> I don't know if it's going to be easy. It's going to be a lot to watch, but it's going to be fun. That, okay. That's for sure. For sure. I'm looking forward to it too. And before this podcast goes uh, totally, totally off the rails, um, why don't we end it here, Everett? Thank you yeah. for having me on Twitch. Um, if you're listening to this on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, uh, make sure to check out Everett's podcast as well because you've had some fantastic guests there. You mentioned the one with TJ Sanders a few times. That I think that was one of my favorite podcasts of the few months. So well done for that. Oh, thank and, you. Uh, Appreciate it. Yeah, let's go. We'll uh, definitely have lots of discussion going on. And uh, any Canadian fans, join our Discord because we need to uh, outnumber, I mean, <laughs> outnumber the other countries by any, more than we already do. Any, any fans, if you're listening to this and you're a volleyball nerd, come join the Discord today. We're over. We we got over 130 members. Um, you know, it seems like there's there's like literally now every single day I open it up and there's multiple tabs, multiple people having different conversations in all the channels. We've got people from literally around the world. Um, so it doesn't matter if you're Canadian, you're American, you're Brazilian, Japanese, whatever it is, come come join the Discord uh, if you're volleyball nerds like us. All right, awesome. Everett. Thanks, dude. Talk to you next time. Yeah, thanks, dude. Appreciate it. Peace, guys.